everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley, and I have been looking forward to this month's episode for a long time because today I have Angela Ahrens in the studio with me to talk about the power of human energy. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. It's incredible to be here. Yeah, and as we were talking about, you almost had to invite yourself. (laughs) Well, I did invite myself. She did invite herself. (laughs) Because I thought, well, Angela's not going to come be on this podcast with me. And then I heard her talk about being on another podcast. So thanks for taking the time to be here. For those of you who don't know, um, your life has been directly impacted by this fabulous woman. Angela's the former senior vice president of all of retail for Apple. So if you purchased an Apple product, you know, somewhere between 2014 and 2019 and beyond, or if you've walked into one of these cool, fabulous Apple stores that um, you remember when that transition happened, Angela was behind all of that. And we're gonna talk about what drove that in just a minute. Prior to Apple, Angela served as the chief executive officer for Burberry in London, where she led the company through a period of phenomenal global growth, repositioning Burberry as a global luxury brand. That is another story we should have you come back and talk about another day. It's so amazing. And now she's currently serving on the boards of Ralph Lauren, um, Airbnb, among others, Charity Water, and she's the board chair for Save the Children International, because Angela, with all of her business success, loves people and loves children and has committed to making a difference in the world. Now, I am so fortunate because I actually met Angela and her family years ago on an Alaskan cruise. Um, We had an opportunity to have lunch. And so, again, I'm so excited that she's with me on the podcast today. So before we jump into the um, power of human energy, if you would, will you talk a little bit about the transition to Apple? Because when you describe this to me, um, they ask you, what, two or three times before you finally agreed and you kind of had a condition for going. So can you tell us a little bit about that story? Sure, sure. You know, I mean, I was, I thought I'd retire from Burberry, right? You'd pick up and move your entire family over to London, the right. cats, the dogs, everybody. And and uh, we had just told the board we were going to double the business again in the next five years and acquired the beauty business back. I mean, we were soaring. The team was incredible. And then out of left field, I get this call from Apple. And, and I had seen that they had hired someone and let them go very quickly and, you know. Yep. And I was kind of, thanks, no thanks. And um, anyway, they flew somebody over, had a cup of coffee, and kind of, no thanks. I'm happy. I'm loyal. I'm to a fault. And uh, anyway, long story short, they knew I was going to be back in the States for Christmas. And so um, someone called and said, would you please have a cup of coffee with Tim? (laughs) And uh, how do you say no, right? Right, I mean, he's one of the most revered people in the world today. I mean, I used to call him the global president because whatever he says, people read and listen. And so I was, was, you know, in awe. So had a lovely conversation. He is a a man of incredible peace for the job that he has. And I mean, I I don't know how he sleeps, but had a wonderful conversation. But, you know, after the holidays, went back to my team and loved my team, loved the mission we were on. And and, um, so the conversations continued. And You know, when you have an incredible job, you don't need a job. And I've never thought of my life as a job. It's my life. It's never been a job. So, you know, the dialogue's heating up. They don't take no for an answer. 
They didn't take no. Yeah. No, no, no. This was went on for probably 18 months. I mean, this was, yeah. you know, but again, this is a life decision, and I don't need a job. And we had created the Burberry Foundation, and we're putting 1.5% of the profits into the foundation, and we had this tagline, you know, how many lives can we touch and transform by the power of our performance? It's through clothing. Honestly, right? Yeah, but right, 11,000 yeah. people engaged around the world volunteering and giving and doing. And I mean, it was just, it's like, it was just a, it was the pinnacle of a, of a leadership position when you when you take a team through that journey nearly nine years, et cetera. So hard, hard to walk away from. And and that was my biggest fear. You know, would I love it as much as I love this? Could we make the impact that I, I never thought, you know, operation, I, I told him early on, I'm not an operator, you know, don't need to run stores. And so we had incredible conversations. And, and finally, I just sent him an email and I just said, you know, and again, I knew it was Apple, and I didn't want to wake up someday and say, I wish I would have. So then I just had a long conversation with myself and said, then why would you? How would you? So I just sent him an email, and I said, you know, first of all, you need to combine anything the consumer sees, the online, the offline, et cetera. And if you put all of that together as one— all of retail, you mean? All of retail, because yeah, it was yeah, all right. separate, right? The app and the online and the physical. So I yeah. said, first of all, it's got to come together. So That's- you're giving him advice before he's hired you. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim then Cook, I said, right. but even more importantly, because my heart was in the human things we were doing at Burberry, and that's and when we connected everybody to do those things, that's when the business took off, right? Revenue's the output of doing incredible things. And so so I just said, if you can almost take your philanthropic arm and use retail to make an impact in communities, then it would be something I'd have to consider. Wow. And that was not really a thread in the Apple culture at that point. No. So this was you were introducing not new product, not new ideas, not new business ideas. You were you were trying to introduce empathy um, for what's going on in communities, leveraging this extraordinary company to do good in the communities, and that was your condition for going. You weren't negotiating salary. No. You weren't negotiating, oh, I get to have to come back to the United States. Mm-hmm. And I wanted everyone listening to hear that part of this story because everything else we're going to talk about in this episode and the next really flows from that heart. And again, when I met you and, and heard some of this, I just thought, this is remarkable. So eventually, they sort of opened up the, I don't know, the, the checkbook, the vault, right, and said, okay— Come on and do this. You weren't sure what what it was going to look like. You had to get there and figure it out. And they gave you running room. And what happened after that? When you when you finally said yes, what was just a little bit about those those early months? Yeah. maybe a couple first first yeah. couple years. Well, first of all, my husband's like, excuse me, we're what? Yeah, <laughs> you know. But your kids were excited. And uh, well, yes and no. <laughs> You know, again, it's a it's a life alter. You know, right. when you make big global decisions, yeah. you know, these are huge family decisions, and 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 our family's really, really, really close, and and so, you know, but two were in college, and and my little one was going to be a freshman, and and she's like, I'm not moving, you know, and the two in college were like, you've been oh. there nine years, right? Nearly, yeah. yeah, 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 and the kids in college were like, oh, that's really cool, mom. It's Apple, it's yeah, you know, right. and so there were all different different types of. But my husband was also very settled, you know, the house and the and and so they're life altering decisions. But I think when you do them from the right place, and you know, it's funny when I talked to my parents, I said, you know, my mom was kind of surprised, and and I said, mom, my mom, my mom's very. My spiritual arm comes from my mom, and uh, and and I said, mom. It's a calling. It's not a job. Yep. It's a calling. 
I have learned a tremendous amount at Burberry, and everything I learned has set me up to go in, and it's just another level. Yeah. It's not 11,000 people. I started with 55,000 people. I mean, it's not $3 billion. It's over $40 billion. And, and, but again, I didn't even think of that. It's, 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 you know, there's hundreds of millions of people, a billion people go on to Apple.com. So if you can come up with an experience, come up with something that just can make an impact, yep. then that's the job. That's the, you know. And in our conversation, that was the word I, I wrote down on my notes. That was the thing is I don't want to come and sell product. I don't want to come and just redesign the stores. I want to make an impact. And if you'll give me the permission and the resources I need. <laughs> but for you, that was became a – there was a very tangible thing connected to that because you're the one who created this whole idea, came up with the idea of inviting the community into the stores, not simply to purchase product, but to learn to use the product. Tell us just – where did that come from? How did that go? Because mm-hmm. when when most people, uh, you know, people under 30 think about an Apple store, mm-hmm. that's what they've experienced. They wait out line, wait outside. They mm-hmm. sit in classes. They learn to use these things. Mm-hmm. Where, where did all that come from? And how, how was that hard to sell once you got in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. I mean, it and it's funny, you know, I'm a very intuitive person. I always say that I use my instincts and then I confuse myself with the facts. So I'm very right brain, left brain. But but I always, always, always lead with my instincts. And so, you know, and then I always say, and, and I just, my job is to connect dots. You're just a connector, right? So, so I found it really fascinating that a billion people had these devices, had these iOS, yep. iPad, and a billion phones, and I don't know, a couple hundred million iPads. And it's funny because all of the the apps that are on a phone, on an unaided basis, they all have like a 99% recognition rate. When you look at that photo app or you look at the App Store app or the music app, yep. right, around the world, everybody automatically knows what those are. But when you went into an Apple store— there was no relationship back to. So I felt, I felt, and I would listen to Tim's investor presentations, and he kept talking about the software and the services and the growth, how many more billions the App Store was adding on, and Apple Music <laughs> and the vision for Apple TV. He was talking about all the software, but when you went into the stores, it was all about the hardware. Mm-hmm. And even the first couple of weeks I was there, he had me meet with all the big executives, and, and, and I asked one big executive who was over a lot of consumer-facing things, and I said, just a quick question, are we a noun or a verb? And he said, we're a noun. We're always a noun. It's about the hardware, the design of the hardware, et cetera. But by the end of the week, I asked him, I said, are we a noun or a verb? Is it what it is or what you can do with it, what it empowers you to do? And he just looked at me and said, we're a verb. Wow. It is what it, and so, well, so that was the ambiguity I walked into, right? And so if it is about what you can do with it and it's about empowering, then, and everybody has these and they recognize what they are. And, you know, of course you do a lot of research, you pull in consulting firms and because again, you use your instincts and then you, you ask people to quantify things. And so, so Apple, just take Apple Music. There was nothing about Apple Music in the stores, but they own GarageBand, and they owned all these things to create music that people were downloading, and they had just launched Apple Music. And so if you need to reskill kids and if they're living on these anyway, yep. then why not invite them in and teach them about music, how to create music? And how the to- reason they wouldn't then is because the stores were not designed for that. And you decided, you know what? 
we're going to redesign the stores in order to do something that Apple has never done before. And they let you do that. I mean, that was some serious vision casting. I mean, a very expensive decision. Mm-hmm. And so why did they let you do it? Yeah, but again, so, of course, you build the business case, right? So we took the four biggest apps, photos, et cetera, and how many users are on there. And it was actually interesting because people would come into the Apple store and the genius bar was just, right, the be-all, end-all. Right, right. But what most people don't realize is 60% of the people were booking an appointment and standing in line to ask a question, not to get a repair. Hmm. So that helped guide a bit. Then They wanted to know how to do stuff. And the stores and the way the Genius Bar was designed was not really to help them learn how to do stuff. Yeah. And you saw that as the thing. As a, as a huge opportunity wow. that they wanted to go deeper on their devices. They wanted to learn and be able to do more with it. So we said, okay, maybe if 60%, maybe we can free up the Genius Bar and let them handle more repairs because they were so backed up if we focused that. And then what would be the equivalent to the Genius Bar on the education side? And so we created a new position called a creative pro. And we said the creative pro is to teaching you all about your device as the genius is to repairing that device. And then, you know, we had to bring in some incredible people to and, and worked with all the educators in Apple to, you know, Apple has their own coding. They own Swift. But so how do we put a program in place to teach the next generation how to code? So we we created all of these exciting curriculums. And as you said, redesigned the stores, redesigned both walls and put those apps that are so identifiable. All over. Put that photo app yep. up there. And then here's all of the accessories you need to make you a better photographer. You know, so we we change the sides, and then we put in these huge screens and seating, depending on the store, for up to 150 people, and we called it. We had an amazing young group of kids that were creating the curriculum, and we called it Today at Apple. And and that's why we also stopped calling the stores stores, because you could buy products faster, cheaper, anywhere, right? Retail is not the biggest part of Apple's business. They've got huge carriers, AT&T, et cetera. So we had to serve a completely different purpose than more than just repairing phones. Of course, we sold a lot of phones as well, but we wanted to do and give more to the community. So we started very early on as well with all 55,000 employees, whatever it was when I started, we were rapidly growing. And we did an internal crowdsourcing exercise. And for six months, we started asking them questions. And we said, what do you think Apple could do more of in your community hmm. or, or should be doing how more many of in your community? was this going on in? Every store. As people came into the store, you figured out a way to ask them about what Apple No, we doing. actually asked the 55,000 employees ah, because gotcha. they had been with us for so right, long. Right. I mean, the and average they lived in the tenure, you, they represented the yeah, community. Yeah. So they're the ones that came back and said, you need to help the entrepreneurs. You need to help the educators. They're not keeping pace. And that's when the team came up with Teachers Tuesdays and invited every teacher in the community to come in. And the teams would sit there after hours sharing with them the hottest apps and how to do things totally free. But this all came from the teams. This was not Angela's brilliant vision top down, right? So it was a combination of some people in the center creating amazing curriculums and content, but it was guided by what those very seasoned Apple employees in those stores said they needed and they wanted. And then we connected the dots with, you know, just taking things Apple owned and and working with the guys that created the, the camera on the phone and you know, and different things we could teach, et cetera. So I said that retail needed to be the lightning rod for Apple. 
And we needed to be the place where the best of Apple came together and came to life. I mean, the original code name for today at Apple was called iOS Live. Mm -hmm. Just taking this software yep. and making it come to life. So I got to hit pause because they're like, my mind's kind of exploding in terms of there are so many takeaways in terms of principle, fundamental things you have just blitzed through <laughs> that are so intuitive to you. And one being... There was a gold mine sitting in every Apple store, a bank of experiential knowledge sitting there that had never been tapped and never been mined. And that is, what can this company do for your community? You just happen to work here, but you live in this community. That has been there since day one, and it just never got tapped into. But your unique approach and your unique way of thinking is what you know, you awakened the organization to what we have. We've never tapped into that. That's amazing. Mm. And that's just one of many things I think we could unpack. And our podcast audience is an above average audience, I, I believe. And I think they will be able to unpack some of that on their own without me trying to tease it all out. <laughs> but I do want to go from there into what our topic is. And that's this whole idea. We, you've termed it human Energy. So what is at the core of this idea of human energy? I think you just accidentally illustrated it, but talk just a little bit about that for us. Yeah, you know, and I think if people are hearing it for the first time, they can kind of think, you know, human energy, like that's kind of odd or, yeah. you know, it, it, it's not like it's a ubiquitous term out there in, in cultural conversations. But you're about to but... make it one, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting because I did a, I did a TED Talk, I don't even know, how, maybe 10 years ago. Yep. And it was when, I, when Burberry was at its height. I mean, we had, we had doubled the business. We just were on such a roll. And I'd never done it before. I'd never been a CEO before. I mean, I'd never, you know, moved across the Atlantic to a, a global business. And, and so I just, there was a moment where I just wanted to hit pause. And I wanted to just, just think about what we had done because I also didn't want to lose it as we got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I really wanted to codify it. And, and we brought in this cultural anthropologist and let him loose, go to every office around the world. And I said, share with us, what have we done? And he's actually the one who came back and he said, you have unlocked this incredible energy. Mm. And, and then I started going deeper with him to understand. But it, it was really my, my awakening mm. into I was doing it all intuitively, yep. and it was finally someone who was saying, no, 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 here's what you've done. Here's the structure. Here's the framework. Here, you know." So then you can repeat it, and you can scale it. So one of the things we talk about in this podcast all the time is if you don't know why it's working when it's working, you won't know how to fix it if it breaks. And so, again, this is such a big leadership idea. You, you know, you, it was working, and your intuition is what kind of sparked it and drove it. But you do have to stop every once in a while and ask, okay, what exactly is working and why is it working? Because as leaders, I think sometimes we are the worst at doing sort of an autopsy on our own success. We think we know why. And if you don't know why, you, you can undermine the driving force behind something good accidentally. So how smart to come in behind it and not assume that since I'm behind it, I understand it. That was, that, that's brilliant. So anyway, mm. so Keep going. I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt. So a little bit more about human energy. Well, yeah, and it was funny because now you've got you know this huge team at Burberry and so many new people coming in. So how do you explain it to them, right? right. How do you make it a part of your onboarding? So yeah. and how does everybody know about it? So you're bringing in the right people and then you're you're indoctrinating them, et cetera. So so we started to, to talk about it very simply, and because most people. 
you know, it's kind of like culture, energy. There's the metaverse, right? There's these words that that buzzwords, and and I wanted it to be deeper than a buzzword. So we just started to very simply say, this seems like what we've done. You know, we all breathe, we all inhale, we exhale. You don't see it, but we all know that we naturally, as humans, do that. And I was learning that we were putting out this incredible energy, and then we were we were realizing that how people gravitated towards it and how it united people and how it started to build this incredible foundation. And at one point I told the team, they were kind of looking at me like I had five heads, like she's kind of gone, you know, mm -hmm. wow, she's, you know. And and I said, no, just wait a minute. You know, in a building, it's got electricity that empowers it. So I said, think of energy almost as human electricity, you know, and when you plug it in, it just unleashes. And it's not charisma, you know, Books have been written, The Power of Positive Thinking. I mean, it's just, it's it's putting these things out there. And when you do, it has this incredible ability to unite. And when it unites, you build this incredible foundation. And then this momentum, it's just. Yeah. Well, it creates its own momentum. Yeah. So, but when you're teaching this, and again, again, there's so much here. It's oftentimes intuitive to us. We got to put words around it or we can't transfer it. And what happens, you, you've seen this a thousand times, I'm sure. The founder has the, the intuition, creates the team. But if, they, if we don't put words around it, you mm -hmm. can't pass it on to the next generation. The founder goes away. Suddenly mm -hmm. the energy goes away because, again, nobody knew what the driving force really was. You know, we thought it was the product and then we discovered it wasn't the product. It was something else. So what kinds of words or terminology did you put around this as you began to try to transfer? Because it is a bit nebulous, but mm -hmm. nobody listening doubts what you're saying because we've all experienced it and we've mm -hmm. all been places where we needed human energy. It wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is it even possible to manufacture? So mm -hmm. uh, talk a little bit about that. And then again, you know, mm -hmm. why is this so important to leaders? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what we really discovered was because we became at Burberry so connected. And I mean, we were mission driven. We were purpose. And, you know, we'd been reading all Jim Collins books and but we were we were so united. And and so what we determined was, is that that this energy in order to harness it and in order to leverage it, it really comes from a very deep core. So what we kind of came up with, which kind of was the basis for the TED talk, was it starts with trust. Mm -hmm. It goes to intuition and from that comes this incredible belief. And I talked a lot about trust in the company. For me, it's the bane of, you know, I don't care if it's my husband and I together for 45 years. I don't care if it's with my kid. In anything, if I it's trust— It's the currency of relationship, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And if it's if you're low on trust, yeah, you know, the Nothing. relationship suffers. So talk about go ahead, keep going, and trust in terms of building that into a corporate culture. What, mm -hmm. what does that look like? It's counterintuitive, right? but I used to tell the teams that um, the higher up you get, the more personal, the more authentic, the more present you need to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, they kind of look at me, and then I tried to lead by example. I was, you know, Christopher and I both, we were out there doing constant videos. I mean, we were having huge group meetings because I do believe, I believe in leading by example, and nothing was beneath me, and it's just authentic, consistent communication. Of course, we had an incredible strategy and, you know, all the qualitative right. and the quantitative yeah. metrics, et cetera. 
None of that means anything. Well, none of that builds trust. Exactly. So the videos, the personal part, the nothing's beneath me, that was your way corporately of building trust and then hopefully inviting people into relationships where they trusted each other. Exactly. But it starts with you. It starts with the leader building it, yep. right? And, and I used to always say, because I don't believe in hierarchy, and at both companies, Apple and Burberry, I've always said, nope, we're going to flip ourselves upside down. Flip that, it's yep. your company. You know, you have a voice. You need to be heard. And I'm only here. I'm the connector. I'm the enabler. You know, I, and I'm going to exit stage left someday, and this thing needs to—at Burberry, we used to say, we have to do everything in our power to build this trust, to get this momentum going, because the company's been around 150 years. And our job is to do everything we can in our tenure to make sure that it is so strong and so relevant to be around for another 150 years. And that removes self from the equation. And there's something that doesn't happen very often sometimes in corporate— environments, or really any environment. It, it's it, That's not intuitive, but you learned that from your faith background as well, I bet. Mm-hmm. So what is the relationship between trust and intuition? Because um, the, the tendency would be to think, no, intuition, you lead with intuition, but you're so right. It has to be trust first, but trust, intuition. Talk about intuition. Mm-hmm. What's the relationship? Yeah. So, so trust unlocks intuition. Most people don't lead with intuition, right? The entire education system is focused on our left brain, memorization, mm-hmm. et cetera, where, you know, we're born with incredible, I said, someday I can't wait. And maybe in an AI-empowered world, <laughs> we're going to start putting in intuition classes, you know, back into, back into all levels of education, because it's the only way I believe we're going to survive long-term as, you know, as AI takes off, et cetera. But but to me, you have to have the trust. And when you have the trust and people's values are aligned and they're very united, then it just naturally unlocks. It unlocks your creative thinking. It unlocks your intuition. You don't feel you're going to get laughed at if you have an idea. Right. It's just collectively everybody collaborating. And it's, you know, it's just people feeding off of each other. And, and that creates an incredible energy into itself. But no idea is a bad idea. And everybody, because they trust each other, they're so open and then it's the old, you know, two heads are better than one. And, yeah. and at, at Burberry to unlock it, we created this council of young, we call it the, the Innovation Council. And we put these young kids in there, the top 15 youngest, most innovative thinkers. And that was their job was just to come up with ideas and concepts. And wow. because the senior team who reported to me, you know, I mean, you know, we, we all, oh, we did that. Oh, we've been there. <laughs> right, oh, we, you know. Right. Nobody's going to wear that. And, yeah. and the world's moving so fast yep, yep. that you can't keep pace. And that was a part of flipping it upside down, giving the young a voice, telling them to use their, their digital natives, use your instincts. Where's it going? I don't know where it's going. I have to watch my kids. And there's no way I can intuitively stay on top of it. Mm. I can use my instincts you on a lot of things. You just encouraged a lot of parents right there with that statement who are trying to keep up with technology. And uh, Angela Aaron says, yeah, I have a hard time keeping up with technology. We just all feel better about ourselves. Yep. Yeah. So this is so important. I mean, obviously, this is why you did it. But for that younger group not to be afraid to express and move up the chain their crazy bad ideas, there had to be trust. If there was no trust— Because we've all seen this. People are sitting in meetings, and they're not saying anything, and they're not saying anything. And you know what they're doing. They're like, okay, I want to say something. Right. What's going to happen to me when I say this? So we smother our intuition, trying to be careful, protect ourselves, and make sure nobody thinks poorly of me. So by creating that environment, 
apparently, clearly, that group was not afraid to bubble up their strange ideas. They weren't going to get, well, how? How much is it going to cost? All, all that stuff. You had cleared the decks for them. You bet. Powerful, powerful. You bet. Well, and I used to tell them. I used to say, you know, it's it's your greatest God-given gift. Mm-hmm. And, and I used to say, you know, just use your natural inclinations to protect the possibilities rather than simply accept the probabilities wow. that a senior leadership team, they'll confuse you with the facts. So intuition teaches us to use our natural inclinations to protect the possibilities rather than simply accepting the probabilities. That is amazing. And managing and leading a company where part of your job is to keep those parameters wide enough for that to happen without tradition, um, middle management, been there, done that, beginning to just move those walls in and crush the innovation out of a company. That's, that's phenomenal. So the number three is belief. What's the connection? So you have trust. You've got everybody using their instincts. And what happens now is you're moving. You're getting momentum. And so I always say that belief then is ignited by hope. But belief then brings in the facts and the evidence because you're moving now. And belief just further reignites the alignment, creates a greater confidence. And to me, it's the rational side of energy. It's what sets the energy in motion, creates that momentum. And you know the old adage, success breeds success. So when you're in this belief stage, I think people dream bigger, right? Because now it's like this, I can't fail. Yep. You know, and I don't think it's any different in a sports team. I don't think it's any different in a in a band. You know, I kind of say when you get in that lane and just you have that trust and everybody's using their intuition and then belief comes in because it's proven now. And so you have this incredible foundation and people dream mm-hmm. and we're dreamers as humans. Yep. Otherwise, there's no evolution. Right. And in a company, if you can unlock that and let that guide you again, the business is the output of all of these. That's why at Burberry said we have soft strategies and we have hard strategies. These were the soft strategies that really were the secret behind that, that company's turnaround. That's amazing. And the belief then just keeps pushing on the flywheel of momentum because it, it, when people believe, they problem solve quicker. When yes. they believe, communication flows easier. When they believe, as you mentioned a minute ago, the hierarchy and the org chart becomes almost irrelevant. Absolutely. That's that's amazing. Well, And they care more. They care more about each other. They care more about the impact. It emotionally just takes everybody to a different level. So much to unpack, Angela. Thank you so much. And to our podcast listeners, she's going to be back next month. But as we um, land the plane on this episode, um, and, and you've already answered this a little bit, what happens when this works? When all of this collectiveness, when these three things come together, what, what happens? What happens in the organization? Yeah, we talked a little bit about it. But I think that you know, it's kind of like the finale of a show. We used to call it the, the level of creative wisdom. Because, again, it was now balanced between tremendous dreaming and tremendous innovation, but partnered with the wisdom and the success, all that we had gathered, et cetera. So, and we wanted at this level because it is when a team is just so united. And it's funny because they're not just united. They're happy. Mm. They're fulfilled. Yep. They're inspired. And what I used to say was, and it was my favorite part of the job, they weren't just happy at work. I know because the work was so fulfilling for them on so many levels. I know 
They were better parents, Mm. better friends, better sons and daughters. I know that when they left us, they were better people, and they gave and did more in their communities because they felt firsthand what it was like to be a part of something so rich. Wow. And if they were smart, and they were, they took trust and intuition and belief home. Yes. Because that's how you raise great kids. Yeah. And that's how you develop and maintain a strong relationship. So your gift to your employees, just with that paradigm through which you did business, was a gift to them and a gift to the world. And now our audience understands a little bit better why you were hesitant to leave all of that to go to Apple. Because, and we don't have time to jump into it today, because I would imagine, you can sort of yes or no, you felt the weight of, okay, now I've got to do this all (laughs) over again with a much larger company that has its own culture. But if you couldn't do it that way, you weren't going to do it at all. And that is fantastic. Angela, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation next month. It's been an honor. Thank you. That is all the time we have for today. To all of our podcast listeners, thank you for joining us and make sure you visit andystanley.com. That's andystanley.com where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of this discussion along with questions for reflection and group discussion. And make sure you join us next month as we have Angela back to talk about moral leadership on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Podcast.